This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, um, detention in strange embassies, um, machine learning, all the fun stuff that you need to be thinking about on a Wednesday night here in Melbourne. Uh, tonight on the show, uh, we are joined by Laura Summers. Good evening, Laura. Hi there. How's it going? Good. I'm admiring your uh, kind of ropey sweater tonight. Have you been looking forward to busting out that one? Literally, I was waiting for it to get cold enough. I, I actually was like, can I, can I wear open-toed shoes so that I will stay cool enough to wear my really warm, snuggly sweater? Oh, that's a great strategy. Yeah. Mm. It's a good Melbourne strategy because you never know what you're going to get. You don't. Um, Cassandra Wright, do you have a strategy on sweaters or are you still thinking on that one I mean I'm scared of the puddle situation with open toe shoes I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing that but mm. um no I I like to be all snuggled up in my doona so um as it gets colder or as we're in the heat it's a problem because I've got to put the fan on and then now it's like do I put the fan on do I not mm. I know I'm wasting so much energy but I just can't stop Mm, maybe um, some bite into it snuggies need to kind of happen. <laughs> For when you're just computing 24-7. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have just such a picture deploying. in my head. I want that so much. <laughs> okay, stranger things have happened. Um, I'll be with you also on Warren Davies. Um, you may have heard many folks talking about data or even data. Uh, there is tons of it. Uh, it's everywhere. You can make earrings out of it. Silver Pond is doing machine learning properly uh, for local corporates. Um, they are, in fact, data scientists in funky T-shirts with at least one mohawk, uh, and they'll be coming up uh, in just a few minutes. So stay around for that one. Um, also, new measures to silence Julian Assange have seen a strong response from Europeans and many around the world uh, following this story closely. Uh, is it the end of, of the end of freedom of speech, or is he, as one person said, just a miserable little worm? Um, we'll have a look at that a little bit later in the show. But before we do get to those items, um, there's been lots happening. Um, one of the uh, sad things that has happened in the past 24 hours happened at YouTube. Um, Laura, what, what went down? Um, so there was a, as the Americans would have it, um, active shooter situation in the YouTube headquarters. And um, a shooter did show up and um, basically opened fire on people in a courtyard and three are injured and she um, then turned the weapon on herself and shot herself. Um, and yeah, it's it's a, a pretty sad and horrific situation. You can imagine how shook up all the employees would be there. I think several hundred were um, had to evacuate the building and some of them were taken to Google's um, campus elsewhere just to get away from the scene. Um, and the the um, shooter apparently was a person who had a grudge against YouTube, felt that they were censoring um, or actively preventing people's channels from being successful and that there was some kind of censorship going on. So um, she'd, she'd posted apparently some pretty angry rants in the past and then took it one more step further, which, yeah, pretty, pretty um, un scary and fun stuff for everyone involved. Someone did think um, it was actually an earthquake. They saw people running everywhere and it was kind of mass chaos and, and confusion. Um, mm. Interesting. I, I mean, I think the thing that comes to, to mind for me is ha how do we find better ways to understand what a real um, concern is and what people, um, what's people just kind of um, having event and having their say about a huge platform. Um, yeah. w they'd be getting thousands and thousands of serious complaints um, every week. So I don't know. How do we how do we get better at this? Maybe this is a problem for machine learning. 
could be. Just to tie it back, but I mean, it's it's a really good point. When you get inundated with um, feedback and support calls and support messages, it's it's almost impossible for people to see the patterns in the data. So mm. I do wonder if this is something that um, big companies like Google or YouTube could be could be thinking about ways to try and pick up the potentially really disgruntled people or the people who might be at at risk of doing something a bit more extreme. Mm. Cass, have you ever made a complaint to one of the large tech platforms? Uh, not not really, mm. um, except when it comes to reporting someone's content or, you know, try, trying to flag that. And mm. it is surprising how, you know, sometimes things that you think, oh, no, that will definitely get flagged or, or this is definitely an issue. Why aren't you standing with this? And we've talked a few times about how um, companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google have lagged behind on like privacy or harassment mm. and that type of stuff. Um, so I can understand how in in the mind of of someone already battling with, with some different things, um, how it, it could be, be taken um, mm. up like that. Um, also, but I think the the issue here is that the majority of people are, are not going to do that, you mm. know. Mm. Um, so we want to treat every complaint as serious, but there's there's I, I guess what we Laura should be said dropping the SWAT team kind of over there. Yeah, exactly. Every time they complain, um, how far does it go to that? Any complaint is taken as a serious mm. threat, or. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's an issue more complex than I can handle. I'm sure they're not collaborating very well with local enforcement agencies as well. It's not like they're sharing this stuff with county police or, yeah. or anything like that. They're probably hanging on to it. They're, um, you know, generally fairly kind of bearish about this stuff. And to be fair, like I'm not proposing that they try and move us towards a minority report type mm. of situation. Like we mm. shouldn't be trying to determine what crimes will be committed. Mm. Um, but... But yeah, I, I guess like the the challenge um, for big tech companies that have a lot of people talking to them and some of them are just angry, but maybe, you know, have like other things going on in their lives and like they're just disproportionately angry versus people that may be having something else going on that's quite serious. It's how, how do you pick like that out of the, the noise? Like how do you how do you find out and maybe like think about how to respond to that appropriately? I'm pretty angry about the autoplay feature on a lot of their products. It's so, pretty awful. I don't know. I'm yeah. going to take it to the next level. Just please, a, please don't. Just a reminder, okay. though, that if there um, are any feelings or issues that have been brought up from this situation, Lifeline is on call 24-7 um, and the number's 13 11 14. One of the other things that has getting uh, been getting people angry is um, extensions um, for mining cryptocurrency. Um, Google have actually gone to the extreme lengths of banning cryptocurrency mining extensions uh, in the Chrome Store. Um, it was a kind of fairly big thing last year that um, if you just wanted to tap into your CPU processing power, you could just um, add an extension uh, from the Chrome Store, um, or um, so you could do some crypto jacking. Um, Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of nasty stuff going on um, in some of these extensions. So, um, yeah, according to a new post at the Chromium blog, um, cryptocurrency miners will no longer be allowed on the platform. Um, around 90% of all extensions with the mining scripts um, that developers have attempted to upload to the Chrome store have failed to comply with um, policies. Um, there's a sweet little graph there um, showing people's CPU activity before and after um, loading the extensions. Um, so, yeah. To be fair, I think the concern is not people 
choosing to mine currency no. with their CPU. The, the point is that some of the scripts are like actually jacking their CPU power without their consent or knowledge. And so you get that effect where your computer is like whirring and it feels like it's about to take off and you're like, what's going on? You don't get anything for free yeah, anymore. This um, is true. But yeah, from what Google was saying, they were allowing cryptocurrency um, add-ons that explicitly said this is the entire purpose of the add-on mm. um, but what was happening was that people were just shoving it in with other stuff or hey have this free cool extension but we'll take over your computer yeah like into an ad block or something something where you're like I do want this feature and then they're just like also quietly we're going to use your CPU power a little bit okay <laughs> um, one of the better things uh, in terms of um, cryptos at the moment is um, South Korea um, they've been big supporters of the blockchain movement um, generally um, and uh, Seoul's mayor, uh, Park Woon Soon, um, is discussing the city's plans at the moment to launch um, what they're calling the S-Coin, um, which is, I guess, kind of like a civic currency um, using uh, blockchain technology. Um, so things such as um, public transport and uh, payments um, through the city and so forth will actually take place um, through this um, so-dubbed S-Coin. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I really like that. There's a big thing around these currencies that they just don't seem to get the names right, do they? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I like it either. It's sort of, Scoin is a bit, I don't know, it has some implications that maybe I won't say because this is polite radio, but yeah. It's kind I, of thing that Gene Hackman would come up with in a Superman movie. Yeah, like, We will take all the Scoins. Oh, I mean, it also like there was Putin in Crypto Ruble, right? Like that's mm. that's also got a very super villain-esque kind of vibe. <laughs> well, it reminded me of Samsung more than anything. So, ah. I mean, maybe that's... That's maybe not the implication they were going for. Seoul is expected to announce a roadmap for the blockchain in the coming weeks and other cities are, are kind of um, thinking about launching their own initiative. Mm. It's kind of interesting. Like, do we kind of jump on because other people are doing it and this obviously works? Um, you do think about sort of efforts in Melbourne to kind of um, roll out things like Mikey and so forth and you think maybe we'll just wait and see on this one, uh, see how it works elsewhere before <laughs> we get into it. Um in kind of more interesting kind of AI news, um, there's been some swaps, or not swaps, but um, I, I player think out, player may, maybe poaching might poaching. be more, more appropriate. Um, so just recently it was announced that Apple hired Google's chief of search and AI, um, whose name is John Gian, Gian, I can't say it, Gian, Gian, Gianendra. I can't say it, but anyway, it's a long last name. It's very Italian. You can look him up. Um, but the point is, is he was suddenly announcing he was stepping down as head of AI at Google, which is pretty much like the peak job you want to get um, if you're into AI or into machine learning. So he was briefly very much the um, the poster boy for who's going to who's going to pick him up and then it was it sort of came to light that he was in fact already spoken for and he had agreed to move to Apple straight away so he's, I think it's a bit of a coup for Apple that's kind of the impression that's going around his job before Google sounded pretty interesting um, Google purchased MetaWeb which mm. was a startup where he was CTO and they were looking to build quote unquote a database of the world's knowledge mm. um, obviously stepping on the toes of the green guys there. Well, look, this this isn't a new thing, right? Like the semantic web has been the thing that everyone's talked about forever. Like mm. how do we how do we take all of the documents and words and ideas on the web and make it into meaning that we can ask questions of, like human-like mm. questions. Mm. There was another company, I think it was something like Wolfram Alpha. There was a couple of like mm. sort of alternates to Google that was trying to do a more human-like querying and Google has kind of slowly either squashed them or acquired <laughs> them over the years. Um, and, and as you can see now with like things like Google 
autocomplete has has a much more human-like syntax available to you um, mm. in their search. I'll go. Do you guys remember in the old days, like there was, it just had nothing. It had no autocomplete. It had no sort of suggestions and you had yeah. to really know what you were looking for. Mm-hmm. And you had to use all the operators. And yes, stuff. exactly. Like all those advanced searches and they're, they're like hidden away, three clicks away. They're still there, but you have to know that they're there. Yeah. Now it's very lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you can just like be a human. It'll be like, I'll work it out for you. I mean, there's a whole other set of discussion that the autocompletes um, are letting us, oh, as society are influencing society in certain ways. Mm. So you can have um, different subsets of when you complete something, like if you if you look up different names and there'll be different stuff that comes from it and then that adds to a cultural perception of it's that re- term re- or that reinforcing person. Reinforcing norms. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's the a downside of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's been some downsides over at Under Armour, uh, Cass. There some, has. Something's going on. So... Um, some of you might be, well, I mean, right now we're hearing about companies getting hacked all the time. Uh, we had Boeing getting hit by a ransomware attack that mm. just happened last week as well. But Under Armour, which um, some of you may know for their sporting goods, they also have acquired MyFitnessPal, which is an app that lots of people use for food tracking, um, whether it's calories or um, putting in their exercise and and that type of stuff. Um, So their data was breached in February and they've, they've come out about it now. And this has affected 150 million user accounts. So this is one of the top five breaches ever. Um, the Equifax hack that you guys might remember, mm. that affected 145 million. So mm. this is 5 million more. Mm. Um, and only larger breaches are like Yahoo in 2013 or um, adult websites that was um, Friend Finder Networks, if anyone knows about that, that was um, in 2016. So the breach occurred in February. They've been notifying people um, at the end of March, which is a... It's, a much faster turnaround than we've seen before. Um, We had companies, you know, waiting a year for that. The stolen data is usernames, email addresses and scrambled passwords um, for the app and its website. So on the bright side, Under Armour had a system in place to protect things like addresses, birthdays and payment info from being taken. But uh, a lot of that can be gleaned from email addresses now. and there could be a lot of people that use their same username and password for MyFitnessPal mm. with other things, unless they're incredibly embarrassed about the amount of food they consume and have a different uh, username on that. Not pointing fingers at myself here, but um, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, it is an issue because so many people are using the app and, you know, we are seeing more and more hacks, but then... I don't know. I also am not surprised anymore. And I'm like, all my information is probably public anyway. So should I still be worried? I do feel a little bit for them. There was this kind of quaint little uh, Baltimore company making um, um, fitness stuff. They acquire um, a large data centric company. Um, You can imagine a meeting just like one Tuesday morning, you know, build that company that we bought the Hmm. other day. We lost it all. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because Under Armour is quaint. (laughs) <laughs> when you see people rocking Under Armour, you're like, oh, that's so rustic. Mm. Uh, no, but it wasn't exactly yeah. uh, It wasn't exactly Google, was it? Yeah, no. true. 
But anyway, interesting. Uh, it is 7.18. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R on a Wednesday night. It is 7.23. You're listening to Bite Into It. And we are now joined in studio by uh, a couple of lovely humans uh, to talk about a project called Silverbrain. Uh, Silverbrain is doing good things with data and machine learning. Uh, Susie and Noon, thanks for joining us in the studio tonight. Hey, thanks for having us. Hello. So, uh, Silverbrain... Um, is that a spin-off? Do you guys have like multiple businesses, multiple names? Are you kind of like cooking these things up each night? What's Silverbrain? Largely, yeah. There's two two businesses. There's Silver mm. Pond, which is mm. kind of the consulting company, mm. and there's Silverbrain, which is this machine learning as a service mm. product. And tell us a little bit about Silver Pond then. What what do you guys do each day? What's a, a regular day at Silver Pond? Yeah, um, I don't think there is such thing as a regular day at Silver Pond. Um, we do a number of projects with uh, local businesses as well as international companies. Um, we're really keen to help people understand what machine learning is and how it can help their businesses. So uh, there's the consulting piece as well as we're developing Silver Brain and making um, that a lot more accessible. And uh, we do a lot in the community as well. So we're pretty active in the local meetup scene with functional programming, MLAI, um, as well as things like Melbourne Knowledge Week, White Nights, and just sort of trying to spread the AI love. Mm, great. Um, Laura, have you come across these guys before? Do you know a little oh, bit about Silver Oh, I might Bond? know a little bit about Silver Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I should like admit I have a conflict of interest. <laughs> Um, Silver Pond is actually the home of, or the, until recently was a place that my partner Andy Kitchen was at for a long time. And so I, I know Noon, for instance, from when he was living with Andy and from the two of them talking smack loudly. <laughs> I used to hear them like coming over to their place. Like I could hear them talking shit and like just laughing really loudly. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Silver Pond is, um, they've, they've been around, they've been doing things from apps um, and like kind of classic web development and into functional programming and now into machine learning they've been doing lots of cool tech things um, and you guys are also doing workshops right you're trying to make um, learning this stuff a bit more accessible especially to people from um, diverse backgrounds which is pretty great yeah we've been doing the deep learning workshops for about a year and a half now so um a, a lot of people would, you know, there, there are some great things you can do online and um, tutorials and whatnot, but we found that was a real need of um, having experts such as Noon in the room being able to guide you through and, um, yeah, got those coming up too. Um, so tell us, we, we're here to talk about poaching and um, how an algorithm can tell you whether someone's trying to kill some wildlife on your reserve. So, so tell us about that. Like, how did you how did you meet these clients, and how did they present this problem to you? Yeah, I'm actually not 100 percent sure how we met them, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're they're from they're from America. They're in Colorado, and they had a lot of webcams looking at their parks. And they would get photos of animals and people, uh, and they largely just wanted to know when a person is walking around in one of these wildlife parks that they have in South Africa. And they had tried a few off-the-shelf um, solutions before they they went to you guys. So, can you talk about like what the challenges were that weren't being met with those other other solutions or other tech? Yeah. So they had tried machine learning before, and there are you know off-the-shelf solutions. So they um, had tried them, but. Uh, 
they have a very um, sort of unique case. Like their cameras are out in the field. They're not always at high resolution. They're at weird angles. They're taking pictures at night and with moving objects. So there was a lot of um, complexity in the images and the images weren't perfect. So the off the shelf solutions weren't quite um, trained to detect that. And that's why a customized solution using Silverbrain um, ended up being the right result for them because we were able to train the machine learning model on their images so they are able to pick people um, and trucks and cars and all these things that we've trained them on in sort of the photo's natural environment, mm. I suppose to put it. And it's... Um, you mean as opposed to a bunch of like Shutterstock looking photos? Yeah. <laughs> beautiful and crisp and perfectly lit and all that? Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Um, so is there is there a real challenge to classifying images when they're taken in the day versus in the night? Yeah, largely all machine learning basically needs is a lot of examples. Um, so I think probably one of the main challenges is there just tends to be less movement photos taken at night. Mm. Um, you know, because it's dark and it's hard to see <laughs> things moving. <laughs> oh. uh, mm. <laughs> Indeed. Actually, so it's just examples. Mm. There's some really cool examples that um, we've been able to fish out where, you know, if you gave the photo to a person, you'd barely even realise that there is a person there because it's, you know, this blurry movement that kind of looks like a ghost. So um, the machine was just able to train so much and, you know, learn to detect that, um, which is really cool. What were some of these false positives and false negatives from the off-the-shelf stuff? Like how bad was the stuff coming back? It was... Not great. I think largely, as Laura joked, it actually only worked pretty well with people if it was brightly lit, they're standing in the centre, right. largely looking at you waving. Hi, <laughs> um, I'm a poacher. Which, <laughs> that's right. Poachers don't typically stop, stare into the camera and wave at you. <laughs> so that was, that was a main problem, yeah. And, and like, how is your how is your technology different? Or, I mean, what can you tell us without sort of giving away your, your IP? What made What made it better? Yeah, I suppose it's that um, that training instance, really. Um, you know, it's it's like anything. Um, the more you do it, the better you become at it. So it was just trained repeatedly on a range of images that were coming through from the cameras in the wildlife park. So, like, blurry movement pictures in the middle of the night, which is, you know, the ones that are detecting poachers, is, that's what the algorithm was trained on. So it became really good at picking... Oh, um, ignore that. all of that other stuff. This is the thing that you need to learn. Mm. Is that right? Yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah, it's just it needs to see the exact kind of photo photos that it's going to deal with. Basically, that's how it gets gets real good. Mm. Do you have to find Do you have to find stuff and kind of feed it in the absence of not ac actually having the stuff? So totally. Yeah. How do you How do you feed stuff like dummy kind of photos and stuff like? That? Turns out that there's a there's a lot of companies like Google and Facebook and others that have done a huge uh, favor, if you will, for the community by putting out really big data sets mm. um, of objects that people might like to detect. So you can actually mm. reuse a lot of that, which is oh, really handy. That's cool. Can you talk to us about how you teach the algo, like what things are, like this classification bit? Like I saw that you had to create a new classification for an antelope or something. Like what even was that about? <laughs> so that's all about um, sort of setting aside uh, in the image what it is you want the algorithm to learn. So for WPS, they were had all these images of... Um, you know, all different types of animals as well as just general wildlife parks. So, you know, trees and grass and that kind of thing. So what you do is we've got an annotation tool where you sort of point out in the image that this is a zebra 
this is a person, you know, the, the different objects that you want it to um, learn to detect. So it sees that repeatedly. You've, you've shown it, you know, thousands of times, this is a person, an antelope and whatnot. And so then it um, has its own way of working out what it thinks a person is. And then uh, you run through images that it's never seen before and that's where you really get the test um, of if it's detecting, you know, off a person um, from a, an image it's never seen before. Mm. So that's trained versus untrained. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And um, how did you how did you let real people know, like, when it was detecting a person, you know, that was potentially a poacher? Like, what did that notification system look like? Yeah, that, that was actually one of the, the easiest parts of this project because WPS had, had really built all of that. So they're actually quite technically sophisticated. So they'd already set up all the real-time notification uh, to, and so all we had to do was basically receive a photo from them and tell them whether or not there's a person in the photo. Kind of like so a Ghostbuster situation. They had the kind of fire pole to ready to go. That's <laughs> exactly how I imagine it looks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could have had a webcam into WPS's office. I hope that's what we would have seen. <laughs> if only we could just understand what these photos meant. Right. We, we right. could kick some ass. <laughs> totally. mm. Do you guys do a lot of these? Are you kind of like looking for similar types of stuff or are you just kind of happy to apply your skills broadly for, for anyone? Like how does this flow back into sort of the corporate clients and the more kind of careful conversations that you must have? Yeah, so um, the tool that we use, Silverbrain, that's uh, perfect for you know any organisation that wants to automate um, essentially human vision. So uh, a previous solution for WPS could have been someone watching, you know, CCTV for hours on end, mm. um, you know, looking at African grassland sort of thing, which sounds really quaint, but I'm sure would get um, a bit old after a while. So there's lots mm. of tasks like that, that would just involve a person looking at lots and lots and lots of images, which isn't always the most interesting work. Um, and it's prone to human error. So um, Silver Brain itself is perfect for that. Um, and then in other aspects, we're doing lots of work with different um, approaches with AI, so natural language processing, um, time series data, and the like. Yeah, I guess I'd say largely the kind of projects we're interested in are the ones that are at least like mildly positive for the community, or at least not <laughs> bad. <laughs> you know, so nothing in the so kind of military or anything like that. Are we hearing "be less evil" as the motto? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, always striving to be significantly less evil. <laughs> Yeah, um, you have to be careful if you adopt that kind of like way to kind of like drop drones on poachers' heads, like someone mm. can just steal that stuff. So, right, true, true, true. <laughs> can you can you tell us about how how much better um, the system was once the machine learning and vision sort of stuff was implemented? Like, was it was it a big improvement for them in terms of how many poachers they were catching or what the detection rate was looking like? Yeah, uh, so the big sort of metric that shows the change there was how it detected people. Uh, so before using Silver Brain, they had about a 40% um, success rate with detecting people. So that was with, you know, um, the volunteers receiving notifications and um, alerting, you know, the park rangers that there was a person there and, and getting that done timely. Uh, Silver Brain brought that up to about a 70 to 80% detection rate. So um, that was really good. And by increasing that uh, as well and the successful detection, they're able to detain poachers within the first week. So they caught two poachers um, 
after pure, purely automated silver brain system. So that was really exciting. Um, how Did you great. get a T-shirt on the poachers? That would have yes. been great. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. I totally, <laughs> Next time. In my head, I just heard like the Bad Boys theme cop music, but with like <laughs> poachers, poachers, <laughs> what are you going to do? Because AI is coming for you. Right. Oh. Right? Yeah. Email Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> right. You should get on that straight away. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have kind of common common questions and things that people are looking uh, for from you guys? Like, oh, see how that's great. We'd also like you to help us kind of figure out how we kind of move stock from here to here or how do you kind of keep it interesting and keep the jobs kind of fun and good? Oh wow! Yeah, okay. Two two solid questions. I think, I think um, the one kind of question we get from people that I think I find interesting is they want they see it working for a certain set of images. Like you can detect people, mm. but what about cats? And and my general answer is like, you show me a photo of something, we can detect it. Doesn't matter mm. what it is, largely. Mm. Um, and yeah, I guess by keeping things fun and interesting, we tend to try and work on some creative projects that maybe are unfunded. As, mm. as well as the um, funded projects. You were telling us about a creative fun project that's coming up for Melbourne Knowledge Week. See, did you like the segue? Love it, love it. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, it's, it's actually really interesting. I've, I've gotten to have a bit of a play with this in progress. Um, so it's, it's a fashion machine learning imagination thing. That's Maybe. exactly how I describe it. <laughs> why don't you why don't you unpack that a little bit for people who aren't inside my head? <laughs> yeah, so I kind of call it a, a fashion exploration tool. Mm. So the idea is suppose you're a fashion designer and you want to think up new wacky clothes, right? Maybe you could just draw things on a piece of paper. Or alternatively, the idea is maybe you could build an AI kind of collaborative tool that works with you to invent new things that you may not have otherwise thought of. So this is a tool that we have built. I feel like Kanye is like listening really intently right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all about shoes. It's mad for shoes. Oh. It loves shoes. Um, so this is a tool we've built and we'll be showing on uh, at, at yeah the Melbourne Knowledge Week, the 13th of uh, May. And will like, randos be able to rock up and have a play with this thing? Exactly. We've, we've built old school joysticks. They're red. You can oh. click them. They make a super satisfying clicking sound. So come along. That'll be. That's, that's the idea. We're um, in the uh, meat market on the 13th of May under the um, Future of Fashion Day for Melbourne Knowledge Week. So it's going to be a really interesting day with um, RMIT sort of the headliner as such um, they're doing lots of really cool things there as well and we'll be in oh, there too I, will, I would be so <laughs> into that there'll be stuff like wearable tech too I bet like those clothes where there's micro sensors like sewn in or like little LED lights yeah the LED lights there oh. may be an LED shirt or two who's to say <laughs> so exciting there's a whole YouTube rabbit hole of people who sew in those little like um, micro micro LEDs and then you can program them and put like sort of conductive thread along to light them up and it's it's pretty crazy I was just going to do a, a, a little uh, nod to where people can find you, but we really do this, but you do have opportunities at the moment. So I noticed on your site you are looking for software engineers. Oh, yeah, design. totally. Yeah. yeah, machine learning people, software engineers, front-end people. Yeah, oh, just great. check it out. Yeah, everyone basically. And they can find you at silverpond.com.au. Um, great little team shot. Are you guys in what, Hardware Lane or something? Where is that? McKillop Street, so just near oh. uh, Hardware Lane, yeah. Great. And yeah, look forward to catching you guys at Melbourne Knowledge Week. That sounds heaps of fun. Yes. Cheers. Cheers, thanks. 
if you are interested in um, technology and freedom of speech, um, you would probably be across the uh, ongoing story of Mr. Julian Assange. Um, he has made the news recently um, with some, uh, I guess, communications to the world through social media, and it has provoked a response uh, from his uh, captors and also from the, um, I guess, community following this story around the world. Um, Laura, there's been a, an open letter that's been written um, to his um, detainers. Um, what, what's the background to, to the current situation here? Well, so if you if you haven't been following along with what's been happening with Julian Assange, he's been um, isolated at the Ecuadorian embassy in London, um, and he's been there for a number of years now. I, I want to say five or six. Yeah, six or seven years. Yeah, six or seven. Okay, so clearly I'm not well briefed. <laughs> um, but the the point being, he's been there in order to um, attempt to pre- prevent himself from being extradited to the US or to Sweden um, to face charges, which um, he claims and his lawyers have been claiming that are largely trumped up in an attempt to silence him, quash his opinion, prevent WikiLeaks from being WikiLeaks, et cetera. So basically the the idea is that he's, he's being, um, his human rights are being infringed upon and that people are trying to um, prosecute him not because of any potential like actual civil crime or s- lawsuit that's valid but because because he's um, releasing documents to the world that the governments the powers that be do not want released into the world um, and some some things that have happened sort of in the reasonably recent past are that um, the Swedish case against him the the rape case did actually dissolve and they decided not to pursue it um, um, obviously that happens a lot of times it doesn't necessarily mean that there was no case but that was was the decision of the Swedish authorities um, and also, since Trump has been elected president, um, the U.S. has actively reinitiated its attempts to get him extradited because they really, really want to put him in a little cell somewhere far away from the rest of the world. So um, that's kind of the environment we're living in. And then recently, the Ecuadorian um, embassy has decided to um, prevent him from talking to the outside world. And they've also prevented him from receiving any visitors. So they're effectively completely isolated him. So they've not only locked the door and put down a significant carpet snake, they've also decided to um, jam his communications. So he's got yes. no mobile phone use, no internet access. Yes. Um, which is, a, I think, a new development. He, he was kind of like, um, kind of like, I, I was going to say, kind of like Elvis Bradley, kind of like, you know, just throwing stuff out there. Um, well, he was he was certainly active on yeah. the internet still. He had a voice and, you mm. know, you can argue that he was still like very much in, in a kind of um, imprisonment, but he, he certainly had the ability to communicate with the outside world. And, you know, he has a family. He has, I think, a son. And I think he has people who he obviously would want to be talking to. And that's obviously no longer possible um, with, they've essentially embargoed Assange. <laughs> like they've yeah. prevented him from getting out. Um, so yeah, there, there was a, a open letter signed by a number of academics, dignitaries, um, actors and actresses. I noticed, interestingly, Pamela Anderson was at the top of the list. <laughs> Just, it was done alphabetically. Obviously. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. There was, um, <laughs> there was some uh, commentary about the, the reason for the moves. Um, mm. uh, under its previous president, the Ecuadorian government um, stood against bullying um, and the United States, um, he was granted uh, asylum. But today under pressure from Washington or um, uh, I think yesterday, I guess, from Washington, um, its collaborators and other governments um, decided to gag him um, because it was putting at risk good relations um, between Ecuador and the UK, um, EU and, and other nations. So kind of bowing to political pressure. Mm. Um, but sorry, anyway, let the letter, let's, let's oh. talk about that. Yeah. 
Well, it, essentially, it says we call on the government of Ecuador to allow Julian Assange his right of freedom of speech. And um, it's signed by a number of people who you probably recognize, uh, Noam Chomsky, Pamela um, <laughs> Anderson. Um, there's uh, Oliver Stone, um, Ai Weiwei, who's an artist I'm a big fan of, Vivian Westward, um, Slovak Zizek, who is um, a person, a philosopher who I also am a big fan of, um, and a number of others. Who there's, are, a, there's a nun, which is great. Yeah, mm. um, but the, the the point, like the sort of turning point here, is obviously this is this is about his freedom of speech and his ability to communicate with the outside world and whether this is legal or not. And certainly, um, there there has been not one but two UN rulings describing his detention as unlawful and mandating his release, as in saying it should be illegal for him to go out into the world in London, go about his business, and not be captured by any foreign police agency, but obviously he has no confidence that that will happen. Mm. Um, I know that there are people who think that, you know, he's he's reaping what he sowed and that he's he's getting the just desserts, which um, I think you mentioned earlier, someone called him a mean little worm. Uh, he was a miserable little worm, miserable. according to the foreign mm. office minister, Alan Duncan, um, uh, in response to, um, uh, I guess, the recent measures and the UK government's complicit um, involvement in, in that. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds like someone being angry because they can't have the thing they want, right? They want to put him put him somewhere quiet. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, the, we, we were chatting about this a little bit before the show, and I think there's an interesting um, phenomenon to observe here, which is that Julian Assange is maybe not a perfect victim, right? He's not a perfect poster boy mm. for um, persecution. He's not a nun. He's not from, you know, like some third world country. He's an imperfect human, obviously. I think that's been well documented. He called the British government Nazis. He said they were as bad as the Nazis. Yeah, which is, you know, like maybe a little hyperbolic, just a smidge. Mm. Um, um, and also with the um, rape allegations and, and stuff, whether they're allegations or not has still mm. been unproven, as you said, even if the case is dissolved. So there are a lot of people of the opinion that he is a criminal, not for the WikiLeaks stuff, but mm. for other things he may or may, or may not have done. Mm. That, that's right. And and that makes it harder to empathize with him. It makes it harder for people to like really rally behind him as a cause. But I think that's kind of fundamentally the point, right, is that human rights and the right to free speech is not about whether you're a good person or not. I mean, it's fundamentally about even if you're a bad person, even if you have really despicable mm. things to say. Well, especially. Yeah. Especially in that case, that's mm. that's when we really need to make sure that your rights are your rights are legally um, observed, and that no no bullying government of any kind, regardless of who's currently in power, should be allowed to to say, "Well, I don't like you, therefore I have the right to make you shut up and go away." Mm. How do we? If you're in Assange's camp, camp and and you're trying to kind of progress this to a, a reasonable conclusion, how do you make the media or how do you encourage people to see the important issue here, rather than kind of getting caught up in the details of who did what and what happened ten years ago on a dance floor and and so forth? Well, I think the the open letter and having lots of academics and thoughtful people signing it is a good start, obviously. Um, mm. I suppose you could continue it with just kind of a general um, letter and let anybody in the world who wants to sign, sign it. What's the post-truth approach to this? What's the post-truth approach? I mean, I suppose whenever someone tries to 
smear his character, you just reiterate mm-hmm. your main talking point, which is this is about freedom of speech and his character does not matter. We need to get Dennis Rodman onto this. <laughs> <laughs> what would Trump do? What would Trump do? Oh, yeah. See, I'm I'm an idealist. I'm just thinking. Um, <laughs> no, that's the good place to start. That's, yeah. that's where we should start always. But yeah, I I, I, I honestly, I, I I'm hoping that we're all learning a, a hard and painful lesson right now with post-truth and Trump and that, that we will return to a place that if, if is not fully idealistic, we'll at least be a bit more pragmatic about the way we have to talk and the way we, like if we totally degrade ideas and I, uh, things that are true or not true to the point where we can't have a conversation and agree to something being true or not, then we've lost our ability to to communicate, to, to human at each other, to and let alone make decisions or be a community or be a government. Mm. I, I feel like um, it, it will be um, almost like anticlimactically resolved in the next few years. Like we'll, there'll be a there'll be a, a, a change in sentiments and and how we sort of view um, our borders and politics and kind of freedom of information and. I don't know, maybe this will just seem like a, a, an aberration and kind of like a bad dream that we had for a, a little while. and um, A sad little chapter in our evolution towards being evolved yeah, and well, enlightened human beings. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not mm. linear progress, is it? Mm. Like you have to kind yeah. of go sideways and, you know, rethink things and decide that's actually what we really want and, oh, this mm. person has just confirmed that we really need these things and it's really important. Maybe it's important to the progress overall that you mm. kind of take those little steps and um, ponder it. It's a good point. I mean, I've I've been wondering if the idea of national identity is going to dissolve in the next couple of decades. Like it does seem like mm-hmm. a quaint and kind of totally unrelated thing to the way people live their lives in mm. the modern world. Mm. Um, I mean, even the idea of an embassy is a bizarre thing, right? It's like a tiny little piece of land that actually technically belongs to another country. Mm. But you think like how that works in the legal sort of scaffolding around it is all kind of a little bit nuts. Mm. It doesn't make much sense. Speaking about things that are nuts, uh, <laughs> April Amnesty is on now. Um, if you're out there and uh, a freeloading AAA listener or if you know someone, um, if you're doing the dishes right now and, and your friend or partner or housemate is not fessed up, they should do so. Um, so there's heaps of great prizes. Um, if you're going to subscribe, it's a great time to do it. Um, much better than Radiothon, I reckon. Um, guys, can you see, can you see, oh no, Radiothon's so months from now. Yeah, I know, but we're like ragging on it. It's it's not a dichotomy, you know. Anyway. Uh, either or, I, I'm st- I'm sticking by it. April Amnesty <laughs> is the way to go, um, guys. Are there some good prizes? Anthony Carew's also waving out the front. Um, no, he's in. That's great. Um, what are some of the good prizes up there? Do you reckon? There's lots of um, fun little things that you can get. There's a VIP pack to the Melbourne Writers Festival, which is two tickets to the exclusive program launch, two tickets to the festival opening party and a festival five-pass pack. Um, and, you know, there's always lots of interesting intersection with tech stuff going on there. I'm really into the Mount Zero Olives. It's a year's supply of virgin olive oil and I eat that stuff by the gallon load. It's around the other side, Warren, if you were looking for it. <laughs> but I love Mount Zero, just a little shout out and their olive oil is delicious and just not having to pay for it sounds amazing. So that's a great little prize and very practical if you're into salads and soups and pastas and all that good stuff. So definitely check it out. Um, City Melbourne is hosting Melbourne Knowledge Week. Um, little Bird told me that their program is out tomorrow. Um, it's a pretty big um, thing for Melbourne. Um, we can be a smart town um, when we think about it. Um, there's around 15,000 students, startups, professionals, investors, families, community members, clowns, jugglers. Um, I don't know. I made a couple up. Um, 
program's out tomorrow, but um, yeah, we can't tell you too much, but um, stay tuned um, to Byte if you want to hear a little bit more about what's going on. Um, have you guys ever got along to Melbourne Knowledge Week? Um, have you kind of had a chance to check it out before? Yeah, I've been to one of the events where there's a panel of people talking about big ideas for the future. Mm. Um, they always have great speakers and they're always kind of amazing intersectional people between tech and writing and thinking and talking about ideas. And I'm always really impressed by the quality of events. Yeah, I went to some stuff when I was working and studying at RMIT. And as we mm. talked to uh, Silver Brain today and th they were talking about some fashion stuff that will be there. So we've got a little bit of a taste for what's coming, but the program will be very exciting. Another thing that's exciting is Code Like a Girl's Intro to Python. Yeah, it's they just number. just announced a new workshop. Um, it's coming up on the 21st of April, which is quite soon, but it is on a weekend. It's four hours. It's for anyone who's new to coding, so you don't have to know other kinds of programming languages. Um, so if you're interested in learning Python, which is incidentally a great language to start with if you want to try machine learning, oh. just FYI, um, then you should get along. Uh, there are limited tickets. I think it's about 50 bucks, which is pretty good for a good day of worth learning learning programming and that's at codelikeagirl.org and, and just have a look at their events. So it's for adult women age 16 and over. Oh, thank you very much for that clarification. Which is exciting yes. because yeah, there's a lot of uh, Code Like a Girl stuff for younger people and yes. so this is a great adult one. Absolutely. Thanks to our guests tonight. Thank you, Susie, and thank you, Noon, uh, for popping in and talking to us about uh, stopping poachers. Thank you to you for listening tonight. Uh, we've been bought into it. We'll be back next Wednesday with some uh, some of our regular people. Uh, up next is Anthony Caroon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.